Welcome back. My guest this week is Joe Saul Siha. Joe is one of the leaders in the money management and the financial space. And a few things I love about Joe is in the early 90s, he found himself in financial trouble, in debt, in student loan debt, and he worked his way out of that. So he learned, in a sense, from his own mistakes. He became a very successful financial advisor. And for the last 10 to 15 years, he has represented brands or companies like American Express, but his main goal and mission has been bringing this information to people like you and me for us to better understand and for us to better understand how to plan for our futures and for our retirement and all the things in between that we want to do. And what I love about Joe is he keeps it real and he tells us exactly how it is. He cuts the fluff. He cuts the BS. And for somebody like myself, it was just really refreshing to hear um, somebody talk about money and money management in a way that wasn't so boring and stale. And I can tell you, the way Joe keeps it real, I'll keep it real with you about if you've been sleeping on the same mattress, getting horrible sleep, having back issues, having neck issues, it's probably time for a new mattress. And my team at over at Engineered Sleep they will work with you and I trust them 100% to work with you to find the best mattress possible for you so you can get a better sleep and on a, and in return perform at your highest level on a daily basis. You can go to their website at engineeredsleep.com, reach out to them on their um, website like I just said. You can give them a call or you can go see them at their showroom in Greenville, South Carolina. If you use promo code LIVE15, you'll get 15% off your order. So again, their website is engineeredsleep.com. I trust them 100% to work with you. Their customer service is amazing. Their products are the best. And most importantly, you're going to get a new mattress. You're going to start sleeping better. And in turn, you're going to start performing better on a daily basis. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Joe Saul Sihai. Good morning, Joe. What up? I'm so pumped to have you. First off, how you doing? I am so happy to be with you because I don't know anybody who's a Gamecock and a guy that was a college athlete. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, yeah. I, hey, I feel like the second we we started talking, like you're my old friend, Sam. That we've never talked. Hey, you have a college athlete in your family, right? Your daughter. You just mentioned I that. I do. Yes, my daughter. It's funny. Do you ever see the old movie Rudy? Oh yeah, I love the, it. Yeah. So Rudy, for people that don't know, Rudy is this guy that uh, played uh, football for Notre Dame. And finally, like his very last game, he gets to play. I mean, spoiler, right? Sorry. Don't mean to spoil it. But the movie's old (laughs) enough that if you haven't seen it, I think it's on you, not me. But but so my daughter ran for uh, the University of Arkansas, which you may know has a amazing Mm -hmm. running program. Uh, and this is cool, by the way. She she wasn't recruited. She was a very good runner, but she wasn't recruited. She knew she wanted to go there. And we just stopped by the coach's office on her college visit. And he invited her to to join the team, like wow. on the spot. Said, why don't you join the team? Now, she didn't get a scholarship, but she did get like free parking. She got a bunch of free food. She got a job uh, through the athletic department. Like all of this stuff that saved her and dad and mom a ton of money yep. was, was great. So if you think you're a marginal athlete, you know, you're good, but not phenomenal. Just go ask. Like you're already at no. Why not? Why not ask? So anyway, to, to to make your very simple question very long, but I think this is this is pretty fun. She she uh she had a nickname, Sam. Her nickname on the team was Grade Point because she's an honor student and 4.0. 
And if anybody knows college athletics, you have a lot of people that aren't honor students on the team. Oh, yeah. And they have to keep the average grade point fairly high so that the program looks good. Mm-hmm. Her coaches made no bones about it, dude. They just called her grade point. Was, <laughs> she was on the team for grade point. So she would practice and she would never get to be in a meet. She was not in meets at all. And uh, every year we're like, Autumn, you're going to get in a meet? And she's like, man, I hope so. So Rudy, right? I hope I'm getting in a meet. Mm-hmm. And so we started calling her Rudy by the end of her sophomore year. I get a call early January of her junior year where her coach said the last meet of the indoor season in February, she was going to get to run. And we were so, we were so damned excited. So (laughs) we go to this meet and I'm super excited. I'm taking all kinds of film. I'm like, Oh, this is going to be great. She ran the 800, which for people that don't know is two laps. So the gun, yeah, the gun goes off and uh, she's right with the pack. She's running just great. She's running fantastic. And then she gets to the 400 yard mark and about the halfway point and the wheels come off the bus. Dude, she finishes last with a bullet. Like she is, she is so far in last. They're waiting for her to start the next event. Like she was so far in last, but she ran. And if you run in a meet, you get a letter. So she gets oh, her junior cool. year. She gets a letter, an Arkansas letter, her senior year. She gets to run like four, four times. She got to run the first two times she got blown out. And so our goal became Rudy get to run, you know, go from grade point to get to run to don't finish last. Like all she wants to do is not finish last in one race or college career. And with two meets to go, she's running this race and she's keeping up. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, man, we get to about 200 yards to go. And we're like, autumn is not going to finish last. She's going to finish next to last. She's in this, she's in this race with this girl, but she's clearly faster than her. And, and she ends up winning by like 15 yards, winning, meaning not finishing last. And then her last, her last meet ever in college, she almost won her heat. Like they had like four heats wow. and she was in third of four and she almost won her heat. So anyway, yeah. So I got a college athlete in the family. And as you can tell, she's 27 now. She's been out of college for a while and I'm still fired up about it. There we go. Hey, that's something to be fired up, up about forever. And what I didn't know, and you told me before we started recording, you ran track too at the Citadel. So don't be over there thinking, <laughs> what are you talking about? You were a college athlete as well. Yeah. But, but let me tell you, you know, I mean, part of my, a big part of my MO with what I do is to uh, make people realize that money management is super easy and everybody's wondering, okay, Sam asked me a question, but, but, but part of that is showing people that you screwed stuff up a lot, Mm -hmm. right? Because people think that these finance quote gurus, like they're, they're, they're phenomenal all the time. They were born just great with money. I, I sucked at money and I also did really stupid things on the track. So let me tell you, <laughs> let me, let me tell you something I did at a track meet. This was at, uh, this was at UNC. We were at a big, uh, regional track meet university, uh, 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 university of North Carolina. And, uh, you know, Duke NC state is there. Some of these bigger schools, little schools like us, Furman, um, uh, uh, uh Davidson was there. There were a few others. F- first track meet of the year. So it's still kind of cold, you know, in the Southeast. Well, I mean, where, where, where you live in late February, early March, it's still, you know, oh, a yeah. little crisp. Chilly. So we had this thing that we did that was, you know, you're in college, so you think you're really cool. And so we had this thing that we do when you got on the line and uh, this junior on our team taught us this, you would, you would uh, 
wait till the very last second so you're not freezing in these little tiny shorts and a mm-hmm. and a and a singlet and you keep everything on at the last minute the starter would say okay everybody you know get get your stuff off but the cool thing wasn't to just like look down and take it off you would have it already unlaced and you take your right spike and you'd spike your left leg and you just kind of kick them down and kick them off to the side in like one little one two move like we're a ballerina right just one the sweats come down two they go off to the side so i've been practicing this because i'm a freshman i want to fit it in <laughs> so i so we we all are lined up they said okay we got about a minute everybody we need your sweats off so they're already unlaced kick down for one off to the side for two dude next to me goes holy crap dude what are you doing and i looked down and i forgot that I had loaned my shorts to a dude who'd forgotten his <laughs> and I'm standing at this big meet in front of these crowded stands in my underwear. Oh my goodness. In front of a bunch of people. Yeah. So what a uh, freshman they, year to kick it off. Dude, they have to hold the meet up for me. They have to hold the meet up for me. I go out in the middle of the field and I just grab a random dude on my team. I'm like, I need your shorts. Dude's like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I got to have your shorts because I got to run the 5,000. And uh, yeah, so I got to uh, get naked in front of a bunch of people. Well, um, if people were to meet you now, you know, I they would probably know you not for your college running days, but for, I mean, you have, you've been doing Stacking Benjamins for 10 plus years now. I think you're in year 11. Um, you're a financial advisor before that. So they would think you about this like money management professional, like guru type guy. And I don't know how many would know. And I think it was probably... Shortly after you got out of the Citadel, um, I think you went to, did you go to Michigan State after that? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I was at the Citadel for two years and uh, I I got injured as a track athlete and I really, being a, being an, an athlete in college was such a grind. And so I decided to come back to, I'm from Michigan, went back to Michigan State and finished up closer to home. And you kind of like found yourself over the next couple of years being very bad with money. Like what situation were you in in those earlier years in the mid nineties? Um, were you financially, and how did you what what clicked for you to somehow figure out how to turn this around? Yeah, I had this this fallacy in my head that a lot of people have, which is that you can earn your way out of bad money habits. Like if I just earn more money, my money problems will go away. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, is is a lie. It's a huge lie. Uh, when I was a first year financial planner, I made $85,000, $90,000. I spent 110000 If I would have made 110000 I would have spent 125000 mm-hmm. I would have made 250000 I would have spent 280000 If I would have made a million dollars, I would have spent one point two. Like you cannot just make more money and expect to get yourself out of these bad money habits. Like you got to lock down you know, the budget, the B word, you got to know where your money's going um, and then earn more money. Like if we can make the difference between the amount of money you spend and the amount of money you make, make that bigger and then sock away as much of that for when bad times happen. Like that's phenomenal. But I, oh man, I was horrible with money and you know, my family, like a lot of families, Sam, we didn't talk about money. Mm -hmm. Like this is no stank on my parents at all. Cause that just average middle-class family. But when my parents were having an argument or a discussion, anything about money, my sister and brother and I had to leave the room. Like you do not sit in the room when they're talking about money. So I get to the Citadel just to tell you about the, the, the history of Joe screwing things up. Uh, when I'm there at first, so I'm in a military college. I can't have a job. 
Like you can't have a part-time job when you're in a military college. Number two is I wear a uniform every day. This will become important later. I, I walk into Mark Clark Hall, the student union, and there's this big old line for people waiting to get into debt. Like it always amazed me when I see these lines for credit cards. And I don't remember if it was a stadium blanket, a Frisbee or what it was, pizza maybe. Uh, but I get in line to get some debt. Like if there were lines to get financial security, like there are lines for credit cards, yeah. what a great world we live in. So I stand in this line and then I get to the front and it's American Express, which is funny because I ended up representing the company for years in the media. If they had known how bad I was with their product, they they maybe would have reconsidered or had been with their product. At the time <laughs> I represented them, I'd gotten good at it, but my history with them was horrible. So I, uh, I fill out this little card, how much money you make? a military college i make zero and i will make zero okay what are your assets um zero i have no money i have no savings i got no nothing so i fill this thing out you already know what happens dude a month later this green card comes in the mail you know member since today right yeah. oh yeah so i get this thing and immediately i'm a baller so we get leave for the first time we go to this mall in north charleston me and six other guys and i want to be everybody's friend so we go to lunch. We go to this high-end place that you might have heard of called Ruby Tuesday. I don't know if you're familiar with it. <laughs> really amazing. Oh, you're very <laughs> exclusive. Salad bar and everything. And and the waiter comes with a bill at the end. You know, he's got all these separate bills. And I just flash that card and I go, I got it. And by the way, I have no idea at this point. Just And this is how, how naive I was. Just no, no clue how I was going to pay for this later. All I knew was I got this line of credit. I got these people I want to be my friend. This is the sure way to their heart by buying everybody the lunch. And of course, immediately everybody's so happy. Oh, thanks, man. This is yes. great. <laughs> yes. Oh, but it doesn't end there. It gets dumber. I go down to the other end of the, the, the mall, like a magnet for the most expensive store in the mall. And I have this, uh, I see this purple sweater on a mannequin. I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. It snows like one day and they celebrate every year mm -hmm. when it snows. So, I uh, I buy this really expensive sweater that I can't wear because I have to wear a uniform, but I buy it anyway. And it, it was Duran Duran beautiful. It was this purple color with this very colorful uh, V-neck and it was a bajillion dollars. I don't know. And so I buy this stuff about three weeks later. I'm walking into Mark Clark Hall and this before email because I'm an old guy. And, you know, you had these little mailboxes with a glass on the front. And whenever you'd see that there was a letter in there, you get fired up because you never got mail. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, I got mail. Yeah. And lo and behold, this day there's there's mail in my mailbox. So I open up the thing. I look at it. It's my friend's American Express. I went, They're probably thanking me. I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> they're saying, Joe, high five. Together, we made friends. We, you got you some great clothing that you can never wear. And uh, thank you so much. No, it wasn't that at all. It was a bill oh, for yeah, all this stuff. What's up with that? And it's the green card. So you got to pay it all now. Like you can't even run a balance, right? You got to pay it today. So I did what any sane person would do. I, I called my mom and I said, mom, we got a problem. We <laughs> have a problem. And mom said, no, you have a problem. So you have to solve it. And of course I had no way to solve it. There was no way for me to solve it. I'm, I can't have a job. So I ended up uh, the next summer working part-time jobs, um, working part-time jobs to work with a collection agency because of the card was gone, you know, a month, two months later, the card was yep. gone. And I had all these fees. You'd think that by touching the stove then that I would have learned though, 
I just continually thought, you know, I can do this again. And so I end up getting a gas card. I lose that. Um, I, my credit got so bad. I start borrowing money from family members. And at the same time, by the way, because I was good at explaining stuff, a friend of mine calls me and says, as I'm getting out of college at Michigan state is my credit's just getting worse and worse. And I'm working three jobs thinking I can earn my way out of this. Um, working, you know, 4 a.m. delivering, uh, delivering newspapers. Uh, I'm working, I'm, I'm building radiation walls. I'm working as a telemarketer. I'm working all this stuff thinking if I just earn more money, mm-hmm. but it wasn't that again, I had just crappy money habits. So, but I get this call from a friend of mine who says, literally, he goes, we normally don't hire people like you, but you're so good at explaining stuff. I think that you'd be good at this. Like we don't hire people like you, but we'll, We'll hire you. So I go in, I, I get hired as a financial advisor as a dude who's crappy with money. And yet I succeed, Sam, because I am good at explaining this stuff. I'm following none of this advice. I'm following zero, but I had great trainers. They teach me what to do. It was really a sales organization. So you didn't even have to have a background. It was horrible. Like a yep. lot of financial advising communities and financial advisors um, frankly, there's a lot of great ones out there, but there's also some not so great organizations and ours was very salesy, but I was also very good at explaining stuff. So I make a bunch of money. And one day, uh, I realized that my car is going to, uh, is going to give out of me. I'm driving this old Ford minivan, just rusted bucket, just ugly ass thing in your purple and- sweater, maybe. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I came clean with a friend of mine. I'm like, dude, my credit is horrible. I said, but I really need a new car. And he's like, oh, car dealers, they give everybody credit. Like every, you cannot not get a new car because these car lots, like these people just need to sell a car. And so they've got like, it, it might be horrible financing, but you can get a car. I'm like, great, because uh, at the time I just got married. Why, why Cheryl married me? I have no idea. Cause I was a disaster with cash and just getting worse. And, uh, we had twins almost immediately. And so I got these young kids. I'm like, I need a reliable car. I march into the car dealership. I may be Sam, the first person, this car dealership. They're like, Oh dude, no, we cannot give you a car loan. It was, it was so bad, but I end up running out of money um, running out of gas, uh, at a, at an office across town, um, about near the end of my first year as a financial planner. And, um, I had no money. I had no credit. I had, I borrowed all kinds of money from my relatives. Mm -hmm. Couldn't ask anybody for cash. So I'm underneath the seats looking for change. And I find 85 cents and I walk, this sounds like an old guy story. I walk a mile, but I did walk a mile to this, uh, like it's mobile station. And I begged the guy to loan me the plastic gas can that they have behind this. He thinks they're going to steal the gas can. And, uh, and I still, it's funny. It was forever ago now. And I still remember what this dude looks like. Cause I hated him so much. I was like, really, really? I'm like on my last leg and you think I'm going to steal the gas can. So he, he, he lets me take it. And I remember as I'm filling up the car with gas, there's this statistic that I read recently, uh, this great research report called The Secret Financial Lives of Americans. And it's written by this group, Nonfiction Research. And it's it's interesting. It's all these secret things that we have. And the biggest one and the one that motivates me every day now is nearly half 
Americans say that they've cried about their money, mm-hmm. that they've cried. And you think, by the way, there's people living paycheck to paycheck, but a people making over $200,000 a year, nearly half of those people say that they've cried about their money. And so we have this big disconnect. And this was the day that I cried about my money because I was screwed. I was done. But I realized then that, you know what? I'm such a sham. I'm, I'm giving out this great advice to people about quit trying to do shortcuts, about uh, uh, getting a budget, about tracking your expenses, about having these frequent money meetings mm-hmm. with the people that are in your life, about surrounding yourself with the right people. And I rebooted. I rebooted that night in my head. And then the next day I started surrounding myself with better people. Uh, Cheryl and I began our weekly money meetings that we still have to this day. And they're super fun. Um, And I quit trying to do shortcuts and I started building a base. And it's amazing when I actually started working on this boring foundation that everybody thinks super boring. I had my act together in like four years. I went from about $90,000 in debt to great, in four years. Wow. Well, stable in four years, great in about seven years where I went from behind the curve to ahead of the game and then phenomenal, you know, for beyond that. So, um, you can do it. I mean, if I can do it, I was a complete money disaster and I think, uh, we can all do it. Well, I think you, you said something there that I think people always kind of want, right? They always want the shortcut. They always want like the quick fix. They always want, what can I do like in the next month or two months to like reverse this completely? Where would you suggest people start if they are, if they're younger, if they're any age, right? But if they're like realizing they need to start getting better at this and like preparing for the future, whatever their goals are, like where would you suggest for most people to start? Uh, that's a great question. I'll tell you where not to start. And actually this report talks about this, Sam, that secret financial lives of Americans uh, which anybody can download, just do a Google search and 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 you download this this and it is thick. It is a ton. But these these researchers lay a lot of the blame on TikTok, Instagram, social media. And the reason is we see these beautiful pictures of people mm-hmm. shortcutting, right? And they talk about because this is before the big crypto crash. Um, they talk about so many people doing crypto, not because of the fact that they believe in cryptocurrency, and what it can do. I definitely believe in the utility that's coming with digital currencies. I think that's powerful, but people weren't doing it for that. People were doing it because it was a freaking lottery. Mm-hmm. And so many people on TikTok going, dude, I went from having a thousand dollars to a hundred thousand dollars overnight. And so it felt like a lottery ticket, real estate, you know, very, very uh, big push lately that I think we've all felt into everybody around us on social media showing us how they, you know, they, heck, not even on social media, on TV. These people spend very little money flipping a house yeah. and all of a sudden they're rich with almost no money down. And you go, wow. When those of us that know real estate, real estate's fantastic, by the way. Crypto's fantastic. Real estate's fantastic. But these shortcuts people are telling you are a complete lie. It's a total lie. So you can't start there. I'll tell you what you got to do. There is this, I saw, I saw it in very New York there. Here's what you do. Here let me tell go. you what you got to go. Let me tell you what you got to do. Uh, you, you start off looking inward and I love this book from the nineties. And at the time, at the time I didn't think it was that special, but I quote all the time now, Sam, it's called uh, seven habits of highly effective people. And it's this guy, Stephen Covey, no matter what you're doing, it's not even about money. It's just about being an effective person. And one thing he talks about 
that is the true key to success is begin with the end in mind. This is one of the seven habits, begin with mm -hmm. the end in mind. And so what I like to do is not what most people do. You know, we start off the year or we start off a day, we start off our month or week, whatever it is with this list, this to-do list, these things that we're going to go achieve. Mm -hmm. The problem is, and the reason why people don't get any of these goals, like who's, you know, we're over halfway through the year now. Is there anybody listening to the show that's still working on their new year's resolutions? I don't think there's anybody. Yeah. And the reason is if you set them and people now don't set them because they're like, oh, because you can't achieve them. It's it's it, why can't you? The reason is these New Year's resolutions exist in a vacuum, meaning they sound awesome. All these things I'm going to do, they're going to make me a better person. They're going to they're going to make my life so much better. But then the next day real life shows up my muffler is dragging behind my car my dishwasher breaks my 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 kid is screaming my cat needs to go to the vet whatever it is real life shows up and all of a sudden you're like well okay that list that resolution list that list i was uh, that's got to wait till tomorrow yep so instead we have to bring these goals into our real life and here's the way i think that we do it take out just a regular sheet of paper and put it like landscape style and put yourself on one side as a stick figure and anybody else that you're planning with for me, it'd be Cheryl, uh, my spouse, but it could be a friend or, or whatever. Draw a line from there to the end of your life. Put the age that you are today underneath your stick figure of you now, and then write out what those goals are. What are those things I want and put them out on a timeline. And so I draw bags of money, by the way, for each goal. So if I want to, if I want to travel around the world in three years, I need this bag of money and I just put a bag of money. And then later on, you know, let's say it's when, before my kids were in college, I want to educate my kids, help them. So I put in our bag of money. Mm -hmm. Some point I want to be financially independent. I want to tell the boss to screw it. I'm not coming in anymore. I put a big bag of money for the rest of my life. And what I like about that, first of all, is the spatial awareness aspect. Now I'm putting these goals in a place where I see them and where when we use words, it takes us a couple of years, you know, when we're born to develop the gift of language and the gift of words, words come pretty naturally to us now, but not as naturally as sight. If you're born with sight, if you're born with sight, this spatial awareness thing is something we have from moment one and develop very, very quickly. I'm here, Sam, you're there. Your microphone is so far away from your mouth, got your headphones exactly on you. It's like the spatial awareness and the difference between these. When I see these goals against each other, we start to do this wonderful thing, which is we let them fight it out like an MMA cage match. And I like this because of the fact that we're going to start thinking about which one of these do I value you more than the other one? Like your subconscious brain does it automatically. Do I value this? Do I value this? Mm -hmm. You go to a you go to a store and you see, you know, uh, three types of ketchup. One is cheaper than the other one, but the other one's a name brand. Do I value the name brand? Do I value the, like the spatial awareness between the two of them? We immediately start fighting it out in our head, these everyday decisions. But with your goals, I think it's really important to do that because the next thing that you do is you then start drawing lines from each of those goals to today. And you ask yourself this question, how much money do I need to save to get that goal? Like, what do I need to do differently today yeah. to get that goal? And I do it for all of them. And you know what? For most people that I worked with, we don't have enough money to do them all, right? We just, we just don't. If sure. you do, this is an awesome problem if you do, but if you don't have enough money to do them all, now they're really fighting it out. Cause I start asking myself, what do I value more? Do I value paying a hundred percent of my kid's college over retiring at age 50? Maybe I do. 
maybe I do want my kids to not have any debt. I want to pay for all their college. So how comfortable do I feel about retiring at 55 instead of 50 so I can do that? Like, it does that matter? Eh, no. Or maybe it does. And you're like, screw that. I really need to retire by 50. So we're going to go, I'm going to pay for 70% of my kids college and I'll be a good teacher and I'll teach them to pay for 30%, whatever that might be. Or maybe we haven't examined the ROI college at all. Maybe I shouldn't go, you know, maybe, maybe it's not important in my family, maybe trade school, but see, see the values discussions I'm having. There's one more thing that's cool about starting from this point, starting with just a little bit of work. And by the way, this doesn't take nearly as long as you think it does. There's calculators on all the major websites, the financial website. Vanguard is a great company. They have calculators. Fidelity is a great company. I'm sure people have heard of Uh, Schwab is a great company. Um, T. Rowe Price. I mean, there's just these big name financial companies all have the calculators to help you do this little bit of math that you have to do, but it pays so many dividends. There's one more that's a big one. We all get FOMO. And this is another thing. We talked about crypto and so many people getting, it's the lottery. I got to get in. Yeah. I don't don't know anything about anything. So I'm going to buy Dogecoin because that seems to be what I need. What's Dogecoin? I don't know. But heck, people are getting rich doing it. So I got to do it. Instead of having FOMO, beginning with the end of mine does this too. Every investment, I'm a kid from a farm country and every investment is a growing season. It has a season where it, you know, there's a time when you plant, there's a time you take it out. You don't, by the way, go out in the middle of your cornfield a month in and start pulling up these little stocks to see if they're okay, right? And then moving them around, Mm -hmm. which is what we all seem to do with our investments. We, the problem is not the investment. The problem is us. We, we play with it too much. So instead look at every investment type as a growing season. Stocks and real estate is an example, two phenomenal investments. If you've got 10 years or more, those are great for, if you've got only one year, the stock market's like a casino. The chance of your stock going up or down is very close to 50, 50 in a single year over 10 years. There are very few periods over 10 years where you've lost money. And most of the time you've done much better than eight or 9% Mm -hmm. in those per year. You've done great in, in those years. So knowing what your growing season is by looking at all these goals and then picking investments that fit that growing season historically means instead of doing research on all the things that are out there, which freaks people out, like, how do I know about all these? You don't have to. All I got to know is just the things that fit my growing season. So now I can go way deep on just a few types of investments versus going an itch deep on a bajillion types of investments. Nobody's going to ever learn everything there is to know. So you can become much more of an expert on the investment choices you need if you begin with the end of mind. The team and the people at Engineered Sleep are offering you 15% off if you use promo code LIVE15 to get a new mattress. And I cannot tell you enough how much trust I have in the team at Engineered Sleep and the product they will provide to you if you have any questions about your current mattress. If you're getting bad sleep and you think it might be your mattress, it's time to upgrade your mattress. And the team at Engineered Sleep is here to do that for you. Use promo code LIVE15. You'll get 10% off your order. But most importantly, you're going to be working with an amazing company. You're going to have an amazing product. And you're going to start sleeping better at night and you'll start performing better on a daily basis so go to engineeredsleep.com use promo code live 15 get 15 percent off your order and start sleeping better and performing better on a daily basis i've always i guess i've struggled with this i know me and my wife we got married three years ago we try there's there's just balance that we try and find because we do like traveling we do like 
enjoying life, right? As we are still able to live and enjoy life, but also we want to set ourselves up for the future. Do you have any suggestions on finding that balance as you progress through life? Oh no, it's all about balance. I, I totally agree, Sam, because I got a I got an unfortunate message from a good friend of mine that a high school friend died uh yesterday. 50, 50, 54 years old. And and you just, you know, I mean, I, when I was a kid, I thought 54 was pretty damn old. <laughs> and now that I'm 54, I'll tell you that dude died way too young. You feel 30 <laughs> still, bro. Way, way, way too young. So uh yeah, I'm still wondering what I'm gonna do when I grow up. But, but, you know, we all have friends, we all know, you know, people that, that you don't know about tomorrow. So you have to enjoy the journey as much as the outcome. But I'll tell you, if you start off with what those goals cost, Sam, and then you know what the stuff is that you want to do today, the budget of what I want to do today. Now you're fighting it out. You're like, okay, I can't retire at 50 and do these expensive trips sure. every year now. Mm -hmm. So maybe I find this middle ground where 55 is acceptable because I can do 55 and keep these more expensive trips in my budget. So I can do that. The other cool thing is when you start doing just this little bit of math, just this little bit, your brain is incredibly smart. By the way, your brain's lazy as I'll get out. Your brain wants to do no work, but when your conscious mind tells your brain to get busy, it will do it. Like it will jump through hoops. I've got this coach that I work with that has me, whenever I come up against a, a new uh, thing I'm trying to do, I write down all the things my brain's telling me like, Oh, I can't do it because I can't wake up. Like I'm, I'm trying to get back on my bike every day. I was injured and now my brain does not want to start working out in the morning and I got to get on my bike and, and I just don't. And so this last week, why? Well, I don't like waking up that early. I stayed up too late the night before, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm way out of shape by whatever. Yeah. I, I had to list all these and then, and this is a great exercise for anybody use that same brain to solve them. And my brain saved them all. Think about what's more important. Is it more important for your health long-term or is it more important for, for, uh, you to stay out late? drinking on a Tuesday, yeah. I, which by the way, I don't do, but, but, yeah. but is it more expensive to stay up late or go to bed half an hour earlier? So I get my ass out of bed half an hour earlier to give myself the extra time I need to get on the bike, whatever it is. Um, uh, is it, uh, it's always hardest when you begin. And then what are the upsides that I like about biking? I love being on my bike or being out on a run when the sun's coming up like that. I love it when I'm finishing my workout, when the sun's coming up like that, my whole day is amazing. Yep. And so I listed all of these things. And next thing you know, now I'm back on my bike since that I've been on my bike three days this week. Like and you just, you, you solved it. Um, but, but, but that brings up another point, which is, so maybe the goal doesn't even need to change. Like if you go, okay, I want to take trips today, but I can't do that in age 50. Your brain starts going, oh, maybe there's a way. Studies show that if you, ask your boss for a raise, you're likely to get it. You have to know the right way to ask, but studies show your boss, generally speaking, not all the time, not every boss, mm -hmm. but bosses generally in America want to give you a raise. And this is an important year to ask anyway, because of the fact that we've got this huge inflation number. Like if you're not making a 10% raise this year and the amount of money you're bringing in, you're falling behind because yeah. the cost of groceries went up. So you have to get a raise, but maybe you could get a 20% raise, 25%. Maybe you could change jobs. That's one. Second thing is you can do some of these things like my cousin does. And I've been talking about this one forever and I still haven't done it. And it drives me crazy, but listen to this. So I've, you know, I cut the cord like everybody does. 
I cut the you know cable. Uh, it was hugely expensive on DirecTV, mm -hmm. so I cut that a number of years ago. But you know what I've done since then? I now have the more expensive Hulu package for forty five bucks, so I can get all my sports. I've got Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Apple TV. I got them all. I, I don't have HBO Max, right? <laughs> I don't have Showtime. <laughs> I, there's two. There's two I don't have, and Paramount Plus. No thanks. So not doing that one either. Um, but I've got all these different things. My cousin, who's a high school teacher and a and a football coach in Indiana, gives me a text about once a quarter. And he's like, hey, what are you guys watching on Netflix right now? And I know it's not me, Sam. He's asking this of everybody. And this is just brilliant. He asks everybody what they're watching on Netflix. And then he only subscribes to one of them because you only have one set of eyes. And he binges all the best stuff on Netflix. And then he writes me a quarter later and goes, hey, what's the stuff you like on Disney Plus? He cancels Netflix, gets Disney Plus. Wow. I'm buying all five of these. He's buying one. So that will save you. <laughs> let's say it, let's say it saves you $100 a month, right? Saves you 100 bucks a month to do that. You, you'll find these brilliant things sometimes. You'll find a better cell phone package. You'll find that. You'll find some savings in your life. We do that all the time, but we don't capture it. And we expect ourselves to be geniuses. So this is a good way to get balance as well is this money that you find, capture it. So if I do this tomorrow, which I've been talking about forever and I totally need to do it because I love this strategy, I save a hundred bucks a month. I immediately, either through direct deposit at work or from my checking account, I have a hundred dollars going to this separate savings account, mm -hmm. right? That money now is additional savings. Doesn't seem like a lot, hundred bucks, not that much money. Think about this though, if you like to travel, that's $1,200 a year, still not a ton, but, it, but if you go to 10 years out, 10 years from now, that's $12,000. Mm -hmm. If you take a $4,000 vacation every 10 years, you're taking three more kick-ass vacations than wow. you were taking over this 10 year period. And you think about it from that aspect, you're still taking the same ones you were taking now, but you're taking three more because you just cut the cable and saved a hundred dollars a month, which was important. But the more important part was when you get that genius to capture it. Yeah. You got to keep it. You got to not spend that hundred dollars on, on something else that month or, or something and like imme that. Immediately you're going out to dinner more. Yeah. You're you like, know? Oh, I'm going to go buy these new shoes or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Where do, uh, where do you see people mess up the most? And it might be trying to get that quick fix or invest in the yeah. crypto or invest in something they don't know about, but where do you see people messing up a lot. I think we spend way too much time comparing ourselves to other people and not enough time comparing ourselves to our goals. When I was a financial planner, the worst question, but the one I got, I'd say 80% of my clients asked me at some point in our early relationship, they would sit, they would move forward. They'd say, Hey, I got a question. And, and it was, it was asked so often that I knew it was coming. <laughs> you could predict it. Like, I'm like, yeah, shoot. I knew it wasn't going to be. So what's a max Roth IRA contribution I can make? <laughs> it wasn't going to be that. It also wasn't going to be, am I ahead of the game on my goals? Do you think, you know, I know we're about to do all this math. Am I ahead of the game? Nope. It's Hey, so I'm 35 years old. How am I doing against everybody else? And it doesn't matter. It totally mm -hmm. does not matter. And I'll tell you, you could be kicking somebody's butt uh, asset-wise and income-wise, 
but your goals are so big compared to what theirs are money wise, mm-hmm. right? Money wise that they're smoking you. They're smoking you. They, they've, they've saved less money. They have, uh, they, they make less money and their goals though are so much less expensive that they're doing better. But how do you quantify that? How do you quantify better? Like, how am I doing? Um, it's only a race between you and your goal. Uh, so people don't think about that. We also think, we also think we're young, uh, so I can let it go too much. Here's the thing. If somebody's, you know, in, in your audience, Sam, and they're listening to this and they're in college. Oh, I hope so. I mean, I hope they're listening to your show when they're in college. I'll tell you what you got to do that nobody does. You're living this life where you're, you know, you're living on ramen, you're living on not a lot of stuff. Um, your budget's pretty tight. If you get a nice corporate job out of college, and I hope you do, but if you do and you get this big raise, I hope you continue for the first five years out of college to live that lifestyle you're living right now. Because if you can do that for five years and just bank the rest of it, like there's this cool rule called the rule of 72, which, which is, uh, it, it shows you how much money you will have later on and you'll have so much money just through five years. And by the way, for me to do that at 54, live the way I did in college, you can, I'm so bougie now, Sam, because <laughs> as you add stuff into your life, it's hard to get rid of it, right? Sure. You add this comfort. Like we were having a discussion today. Like I love Honeycrisp apples. Honeycrisp apples are probably the most expensive apple, but it's my go-to apple. And and yet in college, I would have never thought about buying the most expensive apple. I would have gone with the cheap apple. Like yep. that's that's fine. Nope. It's Honeycrisp. I'd like, I, I'm, I've seriously become soft, but people do that over time. We add stuff. So it's harder to subtract later. So if you can just spend five years just living that, that lifestyle you're living now, it won't feel any different, but the mistake that the other mistake we make to answer your question, what I'm addressing is this, we tell ourselves these three words, and these are the most dangerous words you can tell yourself when you don't have the money. I deserve it. Like when you tell yourself, I deserve it, the wheels come off the bus. <laughs> they totally You're getting come it. off the bus. <laughs> yes. Yes. That new Xbox. I, deserve I know it. I don't have the cash. I deserve it. I'm going to do the payment plan. What could possibly go oh, wrong? Oh my goodness. You can get a payment plan for anything right now. It's crazy. <laughs> um, there's, so, I mean, you have a really cool perspective on this and it's unique in the fact that you, you, you were a financial planner for a very long time or like 16 years, 16 17, years, yeah. yeah, 16 years. And now you're not connected to them where you have to tell them they're doing everything right. Or like give the spin to everybody that, Hey, this is exactly what you need. But from your experience now, how do you feel about financial planners? Are they good? Are they bad? Like, how do you make sure you're getting a good one? Like, I feel like that's super complicated or difficult for somebody in my position yeah. to figure out. Yeah, you don't know what questions to ask. And I remember when I was a financial planner and, you know, uh, maybe I'm a little egotistical, but I thought it was a damn good one. But but I always I always still felt afraid, Sam, for people when they would come to my office. I'm the first person they've interviewed and they hire me on the spot. Mm-hmm. They don't know any of the questions to ask. And I know the questions that they're missing. And of course, I'm not going to tell you those questions because I'm about to get paid. Right. <laughs> so, so I'm not going to talk you out of hire me. 
like, cause you're a genius for hiring me, but I feel bad because people do this all the time. And then you, and then you find out later in some, you know, social media forum where they're complaining to everybody that all financial advisors suck when in reality, their, their interview skills suck. <laughs> you should know? ask better questions. Yeah. Yeah. But if we, but if we back off that for a second, do we need an advisor at all? Uh, the true answer to that is, is this, um, there's this miss, there's this uh, question that's like a straw man argument that people use around advisors of any type. And that is, you don't need advisors of any type because you're smart enough to do this yourself, right? You don't need them. You're smart enough. And, and whenever I hear that, whether it's financial advisors or whatever, my answer is, yeah, you are smart enough. But when I was a financial planner, I got really, really, really good at working with very smart people. I worked with a woman who on behalf of Chrysler Corporation was the negotiator with the IRS. I work with a guy that headed up the minivan platform, uh, making all the minivans that Chrysler made. I worked with uh, uh, the person that was the head of HR that knew everything about benefits. You think they don't know how to do their benefits? They're hired. Well, why the hell would these people who are amazingly smart why would they I people of Microsoft that were these brilliant engineer coders that hired me um, people making half a million dollars a, a year or more that would hire me like, of course, you're smart enough. It's not about being smart enough. It's about two things. Number one, surrounding yourself with the right people like I had to start doing that day that I uh, ran out of gas and I ran out of money. You have to surround yourself with smart people. And I think you need people to argue with you. Like I really like Gordon Ramsay people in my corner. It makes us feel good over the short run to go, no, no, no. Tell me I'm good looking. Tell me I'm doing great. Tell me I'm awesome. I really Sam, I don't like those people over the long term. I want people on my team like, Joe, you're full of it. No, no, we shouldn't do that. What are you talking about? Like, I want people to disagree with me. Gordon Ramsay, and the reason I bring him up is because, you know, people know him for being mean and fiery. But let's be clear, when you get to the end of any of his shows, if he's working with new chefs, what does he want? He wants people to be good chefs. People are opening a restaurant. He wants them to have a good restaurant. Yeah. But people don't think about that. And I really want those honest, blunt people in my corner. And you got to have some kind of thick skin for that. But second, second thing is we all have blind spots if we're really smart. And we have areas of genius and I don't want to spend all of my time worrying about my blind spots because if I do, I'm not pursuing my area of genius. Everybody has a couple things in their life that they're super good at. Mm -hmm. If I can do those things with most of my energy and I get rid of trying to be mediocre at all the stuff I suck at and instead surround myself with people that can make me mediocre at those things, I'm going to do much better. So hear me clearly when I talk about advisors, then what I don't mean is what most of us do. Most of us, we abdicate the throne. We go, nope, I'm going to hand it over to Sam. He's going to take over yeah. for this. I no longer have to do it. No, 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 no. I'm going to be the CEO. I'm going to be the king or queen. I'm going to be in charge and be in charge. You got to know what's going on. You got to know everything about everything. So hiring advisors of any type, whether it's about nutrition, whether it's about exercise, whether it's about your money whatever it is, you still got to be an expert to some degree. You don't know everything about everything, but you got to know enough to ask intelligent questions. So you got to, you got to read the books. You got to listen to the podcast. You got to go to, there's this cool thing for money called camp five that I like. It sounds absolutely horrible, by the way, Sam, 
you go off to one of these retreat centers where like junior high and high school kids go and you sleep on a mattress, like half an inch thick, which for me, once again, I'm getting a little bougie. Sound good. Yeah. And, and you know what you do, dude, you talk about money all weekend. <laughs> and I went to one for the first time, this thing camp I went to one just recently the, the creators in Georgia, by the way, not far from you. He, um, Stephen Boyer makes these retreats by the end of, by the end of the weekend, you realize it's not at all. You're not talking about money. You're talking about values and you're surrounding yourself with these people that have similar values. They want to do better in life and they know that money's just a fuel to get there. And you end up with these 30 people that were strangers and you're all friends and you got each other's back. Like I made this whole new cool network of friends um, that are all like-minded people. And that was super cool. So you still got to do things like that and still have advisors. Um, another, just a good example for me being a Detroit guy, Mary Barrow runs General Motors, the CEO. Mary doesn't show up at General Motors, you know, once every six months and go, hey, how's this car thing going? Like, we doing good? We making good cars? Mm -hmm. She's still the CEO of the company. GM's not the world's greatest company, but the fact that she has kept it in the game as backwards as that company was, I think is a testament to her leadership. So uh, that's that. So that's the first thing. Still got to know a little bit about money. Got to do the, the homework. Second thing is, though, when you hire advisors, you got to know how they're paid. Because remember, I said earlier, Sam, that I would I was not going to tell you weren't asking the right questions because I was about to get paid. Yeah. Every advisor, no matter how they're paid, likes to get paid. They're in business to be in business. And you have to know that. So you have to know what their agenda is. So to know how they get paid, you have to ask about their process. And number one, any advisor that leads with product and not process, you should run from. And let me give you an example of this. I see on TikTok these, I'm going to just use a term because I can't think of the right one, idiots. You see these <laughs> idiots on TikTok who will tell you that using, yeah. that using life insurance, permanent life insurance and borrowing from policies is a great way to get ahead. The, the it's very complicated. The answer is it can be. But I also know that when it goes south, it goes south in a hurry and it is ugly. And by using a permanent life insurance policy to do something versus just saving for it and doing it the right way mm -hmm. creates this issue that if anything goes wrong, it unravels far more than what you expected. So don't do it. Like, don't, don't, don't do it. But this is somebody just to make the point, this is somebody who's leading with product. They're telling you, hey, you should use a life insurance policy to do this. And that's what the TikTok's about. The TikTok's not about the process of going from A to B. The the TikTok is about how great life insurance is. Run, run from that person. So uh, uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is know how they're paid. Do they get paid to create the plan? Do you pay them a set amount of money? And then you go implement it yourself. Or maybe they help you with the assets if you want, and there's a percentage, but there's no other fee beyond that. Like, mm -hmm. you know what the fees are. Or are, do they charge commissions? In other words, they have a, it's like you go into a financial supermarket and they have stuff on the shelf and they're selling that to you. Could be okay, but if what you need is not what they're selling, it's like walking onto a Chevy lot when you want a Chrysler, you know? Yeah. You, 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 they're not going to sell it to you. Uh, and then there's advisors in between. They're called fee-based advisors. They'll charge you fees, but they also might get commissions. All three of these, by the way, have downsides. Commission-based advisors, you might not get what you want. 
fee-only advisors, studies show that you are less likely to implement the plan. And the reason is the commission dude is going to make sure you implement because she or he doesn't get paid until you do, sure. right? They're going to make sure that you do the thing. A fee-only advisor, you're writing them a check and they do the plan. They say, hey, Sam, here's all the stuff you need to do. Go do it. Studies show that you are less likely to do it because they're not going to hound you. Yeah. They've already made they their won't. money. Yeah. Yeah. So they're so, but I would rather have the fee only advisor and know that that's the downside because that puts a little pressure on myself going, okay, I know I have to implement this. By the way, that fee only advisor, whatever type of advisor it is, they should have this term. The term is fiduciary. Fiduciary. And it's, by the way, it's got to be in writing because they will lie to you about this. Ask them to see the contract where they're a fiduciary. Fiduciary means they have to, by law, do what they think is in your best interest. If they're a fiduciary, you want them. If they're not a fiduciary, you don't want them uh, because then they're a salesperson of some sort. Do you do you recommend someone having a financial advisor? I think we should have as many good coaches around us sure. as possible, but I don't think I don't think that, um, you know, advisors go on and on about fiduciary and the way they're paid and stuff. Yeah. I attack, I attack that at the end of that diatribe I just had last for a reason, because I think if we just surround ourselves with smart people that go have gone where we want to go, mm -hmm. we should jump on it. And maybe it's not a fiduciary advisor or a money manager, or whatever. Maybe it's somebody who got really wealthy and has no skin in the game. And I take them to breakfast once a quarter sure. and I pay for their breakfast and we just chat. You know what yeah. I mean? I think there's magic in this idea of, of picking people's brains that have done it, but I get to a certain point. I, I do like having a professional in my corner, whether it's that or diet or exercise or, you know, I've, yeah. I've had just some great diet and exercise coaches that have helped me. Um, uh, I know that people look at me and they're like, Joe, how come you're not more ripped? with all this help. But the <laughs> fact that I'm not obese, if you knew what I really wanted to do is a modern miracle. So uh, I do think that we just need advisors in our life. I think that's such a great point. And I was thinking through themes of our show before we started talking. And I thought that would be like a great one. Like if you have healthy money, like healthy mental health, because that goes along with being sure. healthy financially and then in turn with healthy money, healthy uh, mental health, then you can you know have a healthy body, which they're all there together. Um, you did mention, which I found very complicated, like life insurance, like these different insurance policies in general that yeah. we are getting sold all the time. Is there ways that you recommend people looking at insurance and what insurance they might need, what insurance they're wasting money on, like that sort of? Dude, path? I love this. Love this topic, partially because so many people hate it. Um, because insurance <laughs> is so, it's so bad. Um, here's the first thing. Yeah. Let's save people a bunch of money on their insurance. This is, this is great. Here's how you save money. Uh, or at the very least get the right amount. But I found 90% of the time I would save people money on insurance once they reframe what they were trying to do. Cause, cause let's, let's pull back a second. The insurance industry wants you to have a discussion. This is partially correct, by the way, and is good. Insurances make sense because when something goes wrong, you're protected. However, the insurance companies want you to have that discussion. Do I need this insurance? Do I need pet insurance? So you see, a, a, a you know, you'll see a, uh, the Aflac duck comes on, right? Mm -hmm. 
but disability insurance, do I need, Hey, Aflac duck, it covers you during this. And your brain goes, do I need insurance? That's the discussion they want you to have. You want to have a broader discussion than that. And the discussion you really want to have is this, what is my risk management strategy? It's not insurance strategy. It's risk management. Risk management is a much bigger frame where insurance is a smaller frame. So let me tell you why this is important because when you start thinking about what you risk, you make much better decisions. The first thing that you'll realize is that I have this risk that something may go wrong on a daily basis and I either don't bring in money or I spend more than I should have. That means my number one thing I need to do before I buy any insurance is just get, get an emergency fund. Like have this, you know, pros talk about three to six months of expenses, but at the very least get a thousand dollars in a bank account that you don't touch because think about the last, last minute expense you had a thousand bucks probably covers it most of the time. Um, so get a thousand bucks, but work toward as you're working toward your other goals, getting three to six months expenses. Once you have that money in a bank account, things become really cool when it comes to insurance because your car insurance has this thing called a deductible. And the deductible is the amount that you're going to pay if you get in a wreck, if something bad happens. A lot of people will try to save money by raising their deductible, but they haven't saved a dime. They have credit card debt like I did. And then they get in a car accident and they're screwed. Mm -hmm. You got to keep your deductibles low until you get that emergency fund. But once you have it, you can safely raise your deductible. Now, remember, that's the money you're going to pay if something bad happens, but now you're self-insuring. The chance of you being disabled is pretty high, actually. And we could talk about this for a second, about how to determine what your biggest risks are. I'll go into that in a second, but the chance that you're disabled is pretty damn high. And you could tell because it's expensive insurance. If you've got six months expenses in an emergency fund, I don't need it because I've got that six months covered. And then after that, maybe my long-term disability at work picks up, um, which you know most companies have long-term disability as part of their benefits package. Uh, so I can I can just concentrate on that. But we also think about other things, you know, pet insurance. I'll never talk anybody out of pet insurance, but again, if I've got this emergency fund, I can cover the trip to the vet that happens yeah. versus buying this policy. A lot of people I know will have this type of policy called accidental death and dismemberment. If they work at a company, it's part of your flex benefits package and people buy this stuff, Sam, because it's cheap. And it says, okay, if I have an accident, I could buy this really expensive disability coverage, or I could buy this really cheap accidental death and dismemberment coverage. Accidental death and dismemberment pays if you lose a finger, a hand, an arm, an eye, you, you lose some extremity, right? If you, if you work in heavy machinery, by accidental death and dismemberment. But I found tons of people I worked with that worked at a keyboard all day, you know, yeah. typing away. Like, what's the chance, Sam, that on a random Wednesday, you're flying along on your keyboard at 50 words a minute, and you accidentally slice your index finger <laughs> off between the T and the R key, right? <laughs> oh, finger's gone. It's not going to happen. So get, get rid of that coverage because it's garbage. Which brings me to my bigger point, which is the way to know if a type of insurance is important or not is this insurance companies exist to make money insurances are state regulated which means that maybe an insurance is a ripoff quote ripoff but um it's hard to fool state regulators for a long period of time like there's too much watchdog going on so when somebody tells me they're like oh long-term care insurance is a ripoff why because it's super expensive I don't think it's a ripoff. 
I think that, I think by the way, there are salespeople selling the wrong product and that is a ripoff, but the insurance type, not so much. So here's, here's the deal. If an insurance type is expensive, the reason for that is because the actuaries that these companies try to make sure they stay in business have done the math and they think it's going to happen to you because mm-hmm. the st- statistics are good. If the insurance type is cheap, it's because they think it won't happen to you. And so they uh, price it accordingly because they can still make a profit. As an, And I'll give you a, the perfect example. If you own a house and you own a car, which asset costs more? Which thing costs you more money? That's kind of judgy. But I think for most people, it's your house, right? Mm-hmm. Your I mean, house you costs think, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Once again, maybe I'm being a little judgy, but your house probably costs more than your car. If your if your car costs more than your house, you might have a little bit different <laughs> d- different values than I do. Or that's a kick ass car, one of the two. Um, but which insurance costs more? Your car insurance costs way, way more. Way more. Yeah. And the reason is, yeah. So you think about this. My house costs more than my car. Why's my car insurance? Because they think you're going to use your car insurance Mm -hmm. and they think you're not going to use your homeowners. And that's the perfect illustration. So, you know, when it comes to insurance, except for life insurance, for most of us, term insurance is great. Term insurance, by the way, only 2% of the time does it ever pay off. I think that's, that that's a dated statistic. So I don't know if that's still the exact number, but uh, roughly two to 3% we'll say to be safe of uh, term life insurance, but life insurance, because you don't know back to the, our earlier discussion about, you know, my friend dying, mm-hmm. uh, you don't know when it's going to happen Buy yourself some term insurance. It's cheap, but it does give you that coverage so that if you do pass away, um, that you're not screwing over the people you love. Wow. And, and for someone like in my shoes, or I think a lot of people in general, they just don't, fully understand how insurance works and there's so many policies there's so many different things you're getting thrown at you and sometimes you're like man do i need all of this you know yeah is there is there a path where i need every single one of these and then you know in the back of your mind you're thinking i I definitely don't but maybe i need to get them yeah so think about this so this is it so first thing evaluate the cost if the cost is cheap you can generally go nope don't need it Okay. Right. Hurricane insurance. But, but also look at your area as an example. I'll tell you, uh, I can add I could have added hurricane coverage to my homeowners policy here in Texarkana. We have gotten the tail end of some hurricanes, but I'm five hours inland if yeah. you drive to Houston from here. So I decided not to have hurricane coverage on my on my uh, insurance. Now, if I lived in Houston, that might be a different deal. And by the way, it also may cost more. So evaluate that cost. But if it's a cheap coverage, generally bend toward no. If it's an expensive coverage, it doesn't necessarily though, and that's a great question, Sam, um, of if it's an expensive coverage, I don't necessarily say yes. So as an example, short-term disability coverage is really expensive. It is super expensive mm-hmm. to get to, to get these, uh, these short-term disability coverages that are actually any good. Well, what that means is I need to have a plan, right? It doesn't mean I need the coverage and use a new plan. And like I said earlier, a great way to solve that plan is get that emergency fund. If I've got a coverage that lasts six months and will pay from the moment that I get hurt for six months, I can either pay a company or I can have that coverage of my own where I just have the money in the bank. I'd rather have the money in the bank that's mine 
that I can I can do yeah. it and and forget about the coverage. So look at the look at the thing. And, and by the way, the expensive things are long term care. If you're going into retirement, super expensive. You need a strategy. Disability you need a strategy around your car versus your house. I need a better strategy for what I do if I'm in a car accident than if I'm I'm, I'm at my house. Most of the other coverages pretty uh, pretty um, uh, pretty cheap. Yeah. Um, with the exception, I guess life insurance. People say permanent life insurance is a ripoff. I mentioned that earlier that there's these strategies where permanent life insurance is a ripoff. Permanent life insurance is like whole life where it's going to pay when you die. It's not a ripoff. You probably don't need it, but it's not a ripoff. And this is, and, and you could, people can hear me sighing because this life insurance itself is just a minefield. That's a whole different hour long discussion, but whole life insurance, you probably don't need because of the fact that hopefully if you're saving toward your goals, you don't need insurance your whole life. In other sure. words, if I die at 80, hopefully by the time I'm 60, I had enough that I didn't need any coverage. Wow, I had enough money. Point. Yeah. Um, so it's not a ripoff. The reason whole life insurance is expensive is because it's guaranteed to be there when you die. Term life insurance is cheap because it probably won't be there gotcha. when you die. But between the two, I go with the cheap one. Got it. All right. I have three more questions and I got these from, from some listeners. So, Oh boy. Oh yeah. boy. <laughs> Question number one. What is your best investment you've ever made? I guess it's two question. And what's the worst you've ever made? Yeah. So uh, the best investment that that I ever made was after the realization in the 90s, there is a great book. Okay, I'm going to call this a great book and I'm going to warn people not to read it. The reason is because it's really freaking dry. <laughs> But it makes some great points. It's a book in the 90s called Trading Rules. It's out of print. You can still get it from used bookstores. I would advise people not to read it but because I'm going to give you the takeaway right now. The big takeaway is you don't, you don't know where the market's headed. You don't. And the second that you give that away, that you have no idea where things are headed tomorrow, you know long-term, like we talked about stocks and real estate over long periods are mm -hmm. going to do X because they reflect the economy. But I you stop betting then and you start investing. And I went with these things called exchange traded funds and exchange traded funds are generally passive. They follow indexes. And I give away the fact that I'm a snowflake. I'm not a snowflake. I cannot beat the market. And if I can't beat the market, I might as well find ways to use my genius to go make more money and just do what the market does. Cause the market, the tide's going to get me where I want to go. The river's going to flow to my goals. If yeah. the economy continues, I can just do that. So the best investment I made was investing in passive index funds versus buying individuals. Now that said, I still have a playpen. I still have, I have an individual stock account cause I find it fun and I still get my ass kicked. I make some good <laughs> choices. I make some horrible choices. Um, the uh, the worst investment I made was so early on, you know, I love radio. I'd love podcasts. I love uh, I, I love uh, um, uh, like old time radio shows. Uh, I love everything radio. I just think it's fun. And um, when Sirius XM originally these two companies, Sirius Satellite Radio and XM Radio were coming out, I told my spouse, I said, I'm going to get one of these. Cause I freaking love radio and I, and I'm so sick of FM radio. I just, if I can have a hundred stations, like, don't get me wrong. I don't want a hundred stations on my TV, but I do want a hundred stations 
on my radio. That just, oh, I, I love this. And by the way, because it's me, I pounded it for a year and a half buying these, right? When that stock went public, I immediately bought XM Radio, immediately bought it. And by the way, the fundamentals were horrible. Company had horrible debt. They were overpaying talent. They're doing all this stupid stuff and I buy it. That wasn't dumb. The stock did go up. It went from like $3 to 35 when I bought it. It was, it was great. I hit this home run. But I realized when it got to 35, because it's my play account, that I had too much money in it. I got a lot of money riding on one company and I never want to do that. So I decide I'm going to sell half of it and I'm going to diversify it. I'm going to put it in a different stock. Here was my thinking. I own XM. I really believe in satellite radio. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stay in the same sector, but I'm going to buy the other one. I'm going to buy Sirius. So I took the money I sold out of XM. I bought Sirius. Eight months later, they freaking merge. <laughs> and they own the same crappy <laughs> stock with all. And by the way, the stock went all the way back down. It went all the way back down. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. What is your favorite asset class? Oh, wow. Okay. So this is fun. My, my weakness and to answer this correct, correctly, I love this question. You shouldn't have one. Number one, you shouldn't. Okay. Do not have a favorite because you know how George R.R. R. Martin in Game of Thrones is so popular because he kills people, right? I'm reading these damn books and, and I finally got to the Red Wedding. I don't know if you've read Game of Thrones or watched the series. It. Yeah, series. Dude, I threw my freaking book. My wife and I are in bed and Cheryl tells the story way better than I do. She's like, all of a sudden I go, son of a and i threw my book across the room because they killed three of my favorite characters in one scene and this jerk but when you're investing you can't be emotional about it which is another reason to go passive right go but who's who who a passive mm -hmm. index fund has no sexiness the sexiness is gone you're buying the s p 500 whatever that said dude it's a long preamble i love emerging markets i just think mm. like when i went to southeast asia just just the Vietnam, just the stuff that they're doing in, in Thailand and Vietnam. And, you know, my wife went to India and my son went to India as well uh, as part of his um, as, as, as part of his education. Uh, I, I just look at these exciting developing markets, man, when, you know, uh, late in my career, uh, early in my career, you know, the Berlin wall fell and you saw the USSR crumble and all of a sudden Eastern Europe became these capitalist countries. And I remember being so freaking excited about Eastern Europe, like Eastern <laughs> Europe coming online was just, so I get involved. I like Africa right now. I just think the stuff happening in Africa around payments, you know, the whole thing we're using now, Zelle and, uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, and all these, these payment programs, uh, Venmo, like Africa was doing that crap years ago, like years ago, because they didn't have this legacy banking system. Mm -hmm. And so in Kenya, they were doing it way before we're doing it here. And uh, yeah, so I look at developing emerging markets and I go, give me some of that. That's your, and I, that's yeah, and I, yeah, and, and, and uh, yeah, but buyer beware because, because it's going to be really good and it's going to be really bad. Yeah. Like most things, right? All right, last question, and I'm sure you've probably gotten this a ton, especially probably like eight months ago when it was super high, but how do you feel about long-term investment in crypto? I love it. 
I love it. But but here's the deal. We had on Stacking Benjamins, we had Kevin Rose on, who was not only Tim Ferriss's first guest on the Tim Ferriss show, but he uh, uh, which which, by the way, Kevin probably lists second behind being on Stacking Benjamins. I'm sure he's way prouder that he was on Stacking <laughs> Benjamins than on Tim Ferriss. Just, but he uh, Kevin came on our show and really changed my viewpoint on crypto, which was. I'm like, yeah, but isn't this a wild west, dude? I just asked him point blank. This is a wild mm-hmm. west. I mean, the SEC oversight, which has gotten better in the last six months, was nothing. Like, people even love the fact this is unregulated, which means that you can get scammed, and we're seeing lots of scams. Like, you know, we don't know the utility of some of these coins. Like, isn't this just bad? And he reframed it for me, which is really important. He goes, the best time to make great money is when something is a wild west. The people that were early adopters in technology mm-hmm. made tons of money. People that were early in crypto and NFTs are the ones that made tons of money, right? You get in now, you're still pretty damn late versus versus uh, back in the day. Like, you know, my brother-in-law has been a huge fan from the beginning, and he's got tons of money in crypto just because he started off with a small amount and it blew up. Yep. But... So he said, that's the time to make money. Now, here, here's what I like that he said next. He goes, realize, though, when it is the Wild West, you can lose your ass. And people sure. have. 2000 to 2002 in technology, people lost their, their, their butt. You see these companies go under all the time. So he said, you don't put grandma's money in it where she needs it tomorrow. But if you've got a part of your money, which I like doing with my sandbox money, that you're just betting on the future and things that you believe in like emerging markets or whatever it might be. Betting on crypto is a great bet. It could be a horrible bet, yeah. but, but, but yeah, but I think the utility around NFTs and crypto is huge. Yeah. I do think governments are going to be involved. So here's my take. Governments are going to be involved. They this fantasy. Be. Yeah. This fantasy that the government's gotten, but it's been a fantasy from the beginning. And I also think that, um, that, uh, yeah, we're going to see central bank digital currency come along where, you know, U.S. dollars are just in digital instead of any thing in our wallet. Um, but NFTs is a change in property. Also pretty cool. So I started, by the way, just in uh, March, April time frame. I started crypto come down a ton. Uh, I didn't know where it was going next, but I did know this. I knew the crypto bros. And by the way, when I talk about crypto bros, I'm not talking about people like you and I that invest maybe in crypto. I'm talking about these idiots that are on TikTok telling me they have every dollar in crypto and they're an expert and they're going to teach me like how to invest in crypto when crypto's only been around a few years and how the hell are you an expert yeah, in this true. emerging thing? They all went bye-bye. Like I, I've got none of these people in my feed anymore. Like they <laughs> washed out. And the second they washed out, that's when I started buying Ethereum. Now I don't know enough to know. I know enough to know I did my homework and I think Ethereum's utility promise is way higher than Bitcoin's is. So I think Ethereum's the winner of those two, you know, big coins. I went with the big coin because of the fact that even though it's my play money, my I'm, I'm kind of a conservative investor. I like to bet to win. The cool thing is, is just in the last like week and a half as we record this, I'm finally up. Like people follow crypto, it kept going down, but I kept buying it a little bit. I kept dollar cost yeah. averaging in, buying a little bit, buying a little bit. Now I'm up, uh, I think, 10% on my crypto investment. Very cool. Which, yeah. Well, Joe, you've been very gracious with your time. Your knowledge is incredible for so many years. And I mean, Stacking Benjamins, I don't know, you're on, what episode are y'all on? 
uh we're getting we're closing in on 1300 can you believe it wow i mean 1300 almost 11 years in the podcasting game so you've been in the podcasting game for almost since the inception of podcasting but where can people find you i know you've recently had your new book stack come out so where can people buy it like give me give me everything yeah, sure. Two quick. Th- Thank you so much for having me. I, I knew we were going to have fun. Like I'm listening to the show and I'm like, this guy's my brother by another mother. Let's go. <laughs> uh, two things. So stacked your super serious guide to modern money management. It is a, so just so people know going in, it's great advice, but it is the, uh, it's when I made it, I want it to be campy. Like our show was, I want it to be fun. I want it to be relaxed, but it's the Cub Scout wolf guide meets the Hardy boys detective manual. <laughs> I, when I read the Hardy Boys Detective Manual, I was in fourth grade. It was written with the help of a real live FBI agent. I remember telling my little brother, Tony, I said, this is legit. Like we could be detectives. And so I wanted it to be a little campy like that, which it is. The Cub Scouts were doing gamification before these cool app manufacturers that put cool stuff on our phones were gamifying everything, which I love. Me too. So the book is a game. Everything in the book is an achievement, like the Cub Scouts was for me. So the easy achievements are at the beginning. The really tough achievements are at the end. So it tells you what you need. It tells you succinctly what you need to do to do that thing, which they're all in order of, you know, fundamentally what you should do next. Then there's a bunch of boxes to check, like in the Cub Scouts, to prove that you are doing something. You don't just learn it. You It doesn't matter what you know, it's what you do. Mm-hmm. So check those boxes and there's a place at the end of every achievement for your mom to sign it and you get a badge. So we've got, and we have a certificate at the end that you can take out and put on the refrigerator if you finish the <laughs> entire, uh, do them all. But anyway, stacks available. It's through Avery Penguin Random House. It's, uh, it's, it should be wherever books are sold. Um, and at the library, the audio book, by the way, a lot of people like audio books. The audio book's oh, yeah. cool because the audiobook at the end of every chapter, I have transcribed in the written book part of an interview from a money expert that kind of caps that from an episode of the show. So we have Gene Chatsky from the Today Show, Jill Schlesinger from CBS News, Phil Town, who's a great individual stock investor, Bola Sacumbi from Clever Girl Finance, Tiffany Alice from uh, the Budget Nista, talking about budgets. Oh, yeah. So all these all these great money personalities kind of help us out. But if you listen to the audiobook, you'll hear the actual interview that we did on the podcast. So it's yeah. a great kind of primer. Um, but Stacking Benjamins, the show every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, where you're listening to us here. Um, we call it the greatest money show on earth because it's a circus. You should not be listening to Stacking Benjamins if you're hoping for a bunch of get rich quick tips. But if and you want to not boring, not- people think about money and money management and like, planning as could be very boring um y'all make it lively and fun and funny which is new and fresh well we try to have some of the the types of guests that you have on people from all different industries that do different things and we try to tie it to money so we talked to daniel lamar from cirque du soleil uh, about about you know the circus and about uh having lightening up your plan we talked to david gergen who served four u.s presidents about leadership. And if you have a job, which is a big thing of making money, right? About stacking Benjamins, how how am I a good leader? So he ta- he doesn't talk about politics. He talks about leadership. We talked to um we talked to some history experts. One of my favorite episodes we ever did was this expert in Abigail Adams. And that episode, which was a couple of years ago, is called Abigail Adams Investing Badass. 
at the time that Abigail Adams was investing, women weren't allowed to have investments. And her husband, John Adams, you know, super dude in the revolution, everybody knows John Adams, when he would try to take part in their investing decisions, she'd tell him to keep his mouth shut. <laughs> Just, she was, and she's investing in these junk bonds, these horrible, but anyway, so we try to, we do, Sam, thanks for saying that. We try to make it fun and light and be you know, lower the temperature a little bit to prove mm -hmm. to people that you can do this. You can screw up like I did and you'll be okay. Awesome. Well, that's a great way to end it. Joe, thank you again for taking the time. Um, it's been amazing. And maybe I'll have you on again because like I said, there's so much content and there's so much stuff out there that people need to hear and know. Um, it's hard to fit it all in one episode. Well, anytime, man. And thanks for the questions. Thanks for the community questions. Those are Those are great. Thank you, man. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, click subscribe on your listening platform for upcoming conversations.